Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello Canada. It is Tony here in beautiful Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Today's date is March 23rd, 2020. I'm flying solo tonight, going to do a solo show. Lewis has a prior engagement, so he is unable to join us tonight. So you will be stuck with just myself. So we might not get a full 45-minute show in, but we will see. I, mean, I might just ramble long enough to make that happen. So anyway, on the show tonight... Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, scolds Canadians. The House of Commons will reconvene tomorrow to pass some funding legislation. And, of course, the latest update on the coronavirus in Canada. All right, so let's get right to it, Canada. I hope you're all having a good Monday. We are now starting our second week of self-isolation as a country. Um, for those of you who are self-isolating, I hope you are all feeling well and weathering the coronavirus storm that is coming across the country. I guess I wouldn't say it's quite a storm, but I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, the number of cases uh, has grown. I will get into those numbers a little bit later in the show, but first I will start with Prime Minister Trudeau. Now, he has actually given daily press briefings for... Well, at least a week, if not a little bit longer. He's uh, been given daily briefings from outside of Rideau Hall, which is actually the Governor General's residence, but also where the Prime Minister and his family are living while 24 Sussex Drive is being remodeled, which is costing us as taxpayers millions, but money well spent because it is about time that that was done. So, so from outside Rideau Hall, Mr. Trudeau actually got a little angry with Canadians today and... We're seeing on social media that there's photos of people who are out partying and uh, gathering in large groups and having a good time. And Mr. Trudeau's actually, his exact words for, for those people is, if you think you are invincible, you are not. And he actually came right out and said, enough is enough, stay home. So he's getting a little, uh, like I say, getting a, a little cranky, but uh, perhaps that's necessary. And he has put the warning out to Canadians that you need to stop this behavior and you need to stay home and take care of yourselves. And not just yourselves, and even he made this point, it's, the fa it's you're taking care of other people by staying home and not putting others at risk just in case you happen to be a carrier of the Wuhan virus. So, you know, he's really actually, I think, kind of found his element as, well, I guess, like as Lewis had said, he was, you know, wants to be the role of the spokesman. And that really seems to be where he's sort of finding his stride. These daily briefings, he's actually, well, like that, that article from Don Martin had said last week, he's actually starting to grow up as a prime minister. And it's only about time, only been five years that he's been a petulant child in the House of Commons and in the role in general. 
And don't get me wrong, I'm not fluffing Mr. Trudeau by any means. I still attest that he is, without a doubt, by far anyway, the worst prime minister this country has ever seen. And in my opinion, there is absolutely nothing he can do that will take that title away from him. I, But at the same time, I'm not afraid to give him credit when credit is due because it's not often that it is, but I will have to say that at least in this particular national crisis, he is actually doing fairly well. And I have been, for the most part, impressed with the measures he's taken. Um, I'm not entirely pleased with some of the measures I'm about to discuss that he has taken, but by and large, I actually think he's doing a, a very admirable job with this this situation. And I mean, this is unprecedented. There's there's absolutely no manual for the situation that's going on right now. I mean, we've never had a national pandemic that has hit the country quite like this one. And we'll go back and we'll, of course, talk about the Spanish flu. We'll talk about the polio epidemic. And we handled all those very differently. And in my opinion, how we should have handled this current situation would have been different than what we are doing right now. But this is what we've got. This is what we are doing. So we have to continue to go with it. All right, I'm going to touch on some different sort of ways we could have handled this a little later in the show. But right now, I want to uh, continue to focus on Mr. Trudeau. So he had said in his press briefing today that the House of Commons is going to reconvene tomorrow, which is not news. We already knew that was going to happen. And it's going to be with 32 MPs will be attending. And remember, I had said last week in one of my rants that they only needed a quorum of 20 MPs in order to pass any legislation. So they're going to break their quorum, but they're still going to have enough 32 MPs that are going to be representative of the number of seats that the parties have in the Commons in general. So, for example, Liberals will still have a minority of seats, but the largest number of any of the parties. So it's going to break down like this. There's going to be 14 Liberal MPs, 11 Conservative Party MPs, three MPs from the Bloc Québécois, three MPs from the NDP, and one Green Party MP. Now, when you get to the smaller parties, I don't think it's really proportional the way they've set that up. But regardless, everybody is represented at the table, and I think that is was the goal for these 32 MPs. Now, somebody had called this last week. Oh, yeah, me. As uh, much as I hate to blow my own horn. No, I don't. I love to blow my own horn. And I'm going to blow it here because this humble podcaster had said last week that Mr. Trudeau could very easily find 20 MPs from the Ottawa, Toronto, or Montreal area to come in and help pass his legislation. And what is Mr. Trudeau doing? Well, he's recalling 32 MPs, all of whom will travel to Ottawa by car so that no flight is necessary. Okay, let's read between the lines. What does that mean? That means this humble podcaster was right again and saying that it's going to be MPs who can drive to Ottawa, so it will be MPs in the Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto areas. You know, I hate being right. Lewis hates being right. But so often, when we make these predictions, we end up being right. And it's because, not because either of us are really all that smart, because I don't think that is actually the case. But as we've said many times on this show, 
Lewis and I have been involved in politics, active participants, active observers for 30 years. And when you follow something for 30 years, you tend to learn a few things and you tend to be able to predict trends. So this was a no-brainer that there was going to be all MPs from the Laurentian Triangle. And that's what it's going to be, folks. You're going to have folks that are all Laurentians, so it's going to be very, very easy to pass whatever kind of legislation Mr. Trudeau wants passed. And we all knew that. At least I'm hoping that we all knew that. But if not, you can't say that you didn't hear it here first because, as with many things, you heard it here first on Canadian Common Sense. All right, so they're expected just to sit actually for one day because really all they're trying to do is get some emergency funding bills passed. And I actually will give the government credit that at the very least they're actually going to get to the House of Commons to make this happen. They could potentially issue a lot of the spending bills they want to issue right now by warrant. And warrant spending is, or warrant legislation period, is something that is called when the House of Commons is not sitting. So in this kind of example, when you need emergency funding for a national disaster, if the House of Commons is not sitting, cabinet convenes, issues a warrant for X number of dollars to help with the crisis. Well, this crisis is big, and we've already seen $82 billion added to our already disgustingly large budget deficit to help handle this current national crisis. And part of that, I don't know if it was included in that $82 billion, but Mr. Trudeau did announced today that there was going to be $192 million for biomedical research to help with the vaccine for the for the Wuhan virus, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. And that was going to be dispersed to th- four different organizations. Uh, one is a company in Montreal that actually manufactures pharmaceuticals, uh, another company in Quebec City, Another company in Vancouver that actually manufactures not only pharmaceuticals, but I think equipment as well. And some of that money is actually also going to the University of Saskatchewan. And as many of you may know or may not know, the University of Saskatchewan actually has a very big research department in biomedicine and is home to the Canadian Light Source, Canada's only synchrotron. So biomedical research is right up their alley at University of Saskatchewan and they actually are working on a vaccine there and it's probably a good place for a lot of that research to take place. So good that there's at least some some money going out for the research and they're already on to some vaccines so hopefully they can get into testing phases soon. It's going to be a while before for you know, human trials can start, but they usually say it's 12 to 18 months to get into human trials from the time they get started. And at least they're hitting the ground running here. So as is often the case, Canada tends to be at the forefront of the research end. And we are again, and this should help. So that was at least some good news in Mr. Trudeau's announcement today. Anyway, also what he announced was that when the House does reconvene tomorrow, they will discuss the Emergency Act, and at least so far Mr. Trudeau has suggested he doesn't want to 
invoked the Emergencies Act. Now, whether or not we can take him at his word, I don't know, because I still don't really trust him. But as we've discussed before with the Emergencies Act, it, it gives the government a little bit too much power, in my opinion, and I really don't want them to be able to take control to take over public utilities, tell us where we can or cannot travel within our own country. And so far, Mr. Trudeau has said that he wants the provinces to to do their thing. And if it comes to a point where the crisis gets to a point where provinces cannot handle it with their own states of emergency, at that point in time, the federal government will step in. Well, so far, I think the provinces are handling the situation with their own states of emergency. Over the weekend, Nova Scotia also declared a, a state of emergency. So that brings the, the total up to, well, almost half of the, the provinces now. Northwest Territories has actually called on a, a, a ban on travel into the Northwest Territories, so they've effectively closed their border. So that's a very large part of the country, even though it's not a highly populated one. So the provinces and territories are getting a handle in the situation. They are, they recognize the gravity of, of what's going on probably much better in their local situations than what the federal government would. So I really hope that the federal government does not invoke the Emergencies Act and stays out of it. Let's the provinces take care of it. So anyway, tomorrow's vote in the House of Commons most likely is just going to be for the spending bills to add that $82 billion to our our deficit. And that number is only going to go up, folks. Just just know that that number is going to go up as more and more programs get rolled out. And unfortunately, it's going to have to happen. And as much as it really bothers me to, to have to admit this, the government actually does have a role to play and government is actually going to have to do something to to fix this problem. But as Lewis had said in our last show and probably the show before that even, it's the government that caused this problem by shutting down our economy, by forcing businesses to close. So unfortunately, the government has to fix it. So how is the government going to fix it? Oh, and this just in, I see the city of Toronto has also declared a state of emergency, a local state of emergency. Um, the city of Regina actually did the same thing on the weekend. And then the province of Saskatchewan said that their uh, state of emergency actually supersedes a municipal uh, act of declaring a state of emergency. So effectively nullified uh, the city of Regina state of emergency. So I'm not certain if the same thing will be true in the province of Ontario where Mr. Ford could can effectively overrule John Tory in the city of Toronto state of emergency. So we'll see how that one plays out. I just learned this. So um, perhaps in our next rant, which I'm sure will be in a couple of days, I'll have a bit more information on that one for you. But anyway, back to what we're going to be talking about in the House of Commons tomorrow. Well, not we, because I won't be there. I'm still working. So there have been journalists that have been calling for the Emergency Act to be invoked. I'm hoping Mr. Trudeau stays away from that. And there was also an article I read which really disturbed me, and I knew it was coming, and I knew that it would have to be discussed eventually. But because so many reporters tend to be quite left-wing, we knew there would be a call for a universal basic income. And, of course, that had come up 
before in the last election. And Mr. Singh has been talking about it. I, I uh, see he's been, been tweeting about it over the weekend. So obviously he must have been tipped off that this was coming from, from the media. But the calls say, oh, universal basic income would help fix this problem because it would help Canadians who are unemployed. And I thought, the biggest problem with this, and Lewis and I were texting about this today, and and what he had said was what exactly what you know I was thinking, and probably a lot of you are thinking, was that as once you implement a program like a universal basic income, for example, it never goes away, and that is not a program that we can afford as a government, and it's also not a program that we need. Now consider a few years ago when the oil patch took a major turned to the south, not as bad as it has now, of course, but when there was a lot of job losses in the oil patch and Mr. Trudeau had announced that employment insurance benefits would be extended to 18 months for, for those who had lost their jobs. And the way I look at it, that's exactly what we can do here again. They've already waived the waiting period for employment insurance, so those who get laid off can immediately start collecting. So why not just extend the period for unemployment insurance benefits up to 18 months again? And it probably would need to be that long because there's a lot of industries that are going to have to fight pretty hard to rebound and to kickstart themselves again because, like I say, a lot of our economy has been shut down by this government. So let's just use employment insurance and use the employment insurance system on the federal level and then use all other social service systems on the provincial level to help top them up and to help get us through this. I really don't think that a universal basic income is the way to go because, well, not only is it a redundant program when we have employment insurance, then the call comes out for how much should that universal basic income actually be? And then, of course, you know where I'm going with this. You're going to hear the call for minimum $15 per hour equivalent. Well, $15 an hour is too high as a minimum wage, and we see that when it actually hits an economy. Um, look what happened in Alberta when the NDP government there a couple of years ago had implemented a $15 minimum wage, and suddenly a lot of the jobs that were the minimum wage jobs became jobs that were being done by kiosks, by self-checkouts, by whatever other kind of AI computers that they had in there. They weren't jobs that were being done by people anymore. Let's put it that way. And as much as I hate to say it, $15 an hour as to, as a minimum wage is too high. And when we let the market determine what minimum wage is, then finally our kids can get those first jobs that they need to get themselves experience in the workforce so they can get better jobs once they better themselves. And... Yep, throw all the hate my way you, that you want to, but if we let the market determine minimum wage, at least those jobs can be filled by people and not by machines. So big no to universal basic income. No, thank you. We've already got systems in place for that. So I sincerely hope that that one does not get on the table in the House of Commons tomorrow. And I don't think it will. I'm pretty sure that all they're discussing is going to be just simply the spending bills that are that are before them. Not even the spending bills. It's the spending warrants that are before them to get some of this economic stimulus out there. Now, 
I shouldn't even say stimulus. That's probably the wrong word. Really what this is, is just an aid package. There are stimulus packages that have already come from past budgets that haven't even begun construction yet. So those I think we can probably focus on on a later date. Right now we're kind of in in crisis mode and we just got to try and get money into Canadians' pockets so they can survive right now. There, you know, there's been talk of rent deferrals, or not rent deferrals, sorry, mortgage deferrals, and public utilities have talked about payment deferrals. And I just want to say, Canada, to anybody listening out there, if you can afford to pay your bills right now, keep paying your bills. So many people are taking this to mean that you have a holiday from your mortgage and you have a holiday from utility bills. It is not a holiday from anything. All it means is that the interest will accrue and be charged at a later date, or they will ask you to pay the interest only and not pay the principal. But regardless, you will still have that balance accrue. Like in a mortgage, for example, you'll just get those six months of principal added to the end of your mortgage. And as Lewis has said in our last episode, when the interest that you're not paying for those six months gets at, gets tacked on at month seven, you will be paying only that interest until it has been caught up. So you're going to end up extending your mortgage period and you're not going to be paying the same amount of principal. So if you can afford to pay them, pay them. Utility bills, same thing. You may get a six-month payment holiday, and but that six months is going to continue to add up then suddenly you might find yourself with a eight nine hundred thousand dollar utility bill per utility so please i beg you if you can pay your bills now keep paying your bills you are not getting anything for free and those of you who who are outside of canada listening to a show and i see by our analytics there are some of you so thank you for tuning in for that and just a little note for you folks who are listening internationally that Canadians like to get things for free and we just have to understand that this is not anything free this is not a free mortgage holiday a free utility holiday this is simply a deferral it is a buy now and pay later much like a credit card so don't pay later Canada because We've got a bankruptcy crisis coming, and I'm going to be talking about that sh- in a, shortly here. But when that bankruptcy crisis comes, we're going to be in even worse shape to try to pay those bills, especially if you allow yourself to get six months behind. So just don't do it. Okay, and before I talk about bankruptcy, I just want to give a quick update on the the Wuhan virus in Canada, the coronavirus. And... As of about half an hour ago, I checked on Worldometers, actually just before I started the show, so roughly half an hour ago, Canada, the most up-to-date number was 2,091 cases, and there's 24 fatalities from that, 320 are reported as recovered. So what that means is of 2,091 cases, there's a mortality rate of about 1.3%. Now, those of you who know me know I'm going to go to this now. When I talked about the the virus in its earlier stages and suggested that the flu is more dangerous, well, the flu has a mortality rate of about 3%, so we're about half that with the Wuhan virus right now. So I'm really, really glad to hear that. I don't like the fact that there's you know as many cases as there are here in Canada, 
But we're doing well. In a country of 37 million, 2,091 cases is very, very darn good. Uh, especially when you consider in a country like Italy with just not quite twice our population and has 55,000 cases. Um, Spain, not very far behind. And even in the United States, there are considerably more cases than there are here. So I think we're doing well at 2,091 cases. The most important figure, um, in my opinion anyway, and this is the game from worldometers.info, worldometers.info. Check it out. It's actually got very up-to-date numbers. They actually have a ticker that runs so you can see the numbers in real time. And the most important graph that I looked at on worldometers is the number of new cases. Because uh, uh, it tracks them day-to-day. The number of new cases in Canada is actually now starting to drop day over day. So whether that means that we've gotten a handle on this or whatever it means, uh, it's nothing but good news as far as I'm concerned. So perhaps the self-isolation is working and perhaps Mr. Trudeau's message of enough is enough, it's time to stay home, as he said today, Maybe that's doing the trick, folks. So, honestly, Canada, stay home. Stay home. Uh, I stayed home all weekend. Yes, it's boring as Hades, but luckily I got a good time to spend time with all my family. And perhaps you could look at it as that as well. Some good time to regroup, relax, and spend some time with your family. For those of you who are not working, it's very good time just to stay home and relax. Those of you who are working, it's a great idea just to come home and stay home until you have to go to work again the next day. All right, so to recap, 2,091 cases. So far, 24 fatalities and 320 people have recovered. States of emergency due to the virus. And no surprise that Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia, Alberta, the four largest provinces by population and the hotbeds of where the cases are, also Nova Scotia and Northwest Territories. Now, the hardest hit from the virus so far is British Columbia, which is our third most populous province. Uh, Ontario, the most populous province, is also quite a hard hit. Um, Alberta actually seems to have as many cases as Quebec, even though Quebec has almost double Alberta's population. But seems Alberta is right next door to British Columbia. That could have something to do with it. All right, but anyway, stay safe out there, folks. Remember to maintain that social distancing. So keep two meters of space between people. If you do happen to see people out in public or even if you're in private spaces, try to maintain that social distance. And if you're not feeling well, for the love of God, stay home. And if you're if you're in the... The higher risk groups, elderly, pre-existing conditions, underlying conditions, stay home. There is so many options. There are so many grocery stores that are delivering. Pharmacies are delivering. Restaurants are delivering. And it's all no contact delivery. They just drop it at your doorstep. So there is no reason, if you are not feeling well, to go out. So stay home. Let's keep the number of, of cases to a minimum. And let's just take it easy on each other out there. Okay, last thing I'm going to touch on today is going to be the upcoming bankruptcy crisis in this country. It's not something that is being talked about 
in the mainstream media because they're focused on wall-to-wall coronavirus coverage. And let them be. I mean, that's the big big story of the day, and they tend to like to to jump on those bouncing balls until they've got no more bounce in them. So where we're going to go with this, where I'm going to go, and this is something that Lewis and I have discussed before many times and months ago, we discussed this, and it was in the Ipsos poll that came out, I think it was even November, so I mean many months ago, that it talked about 48% of Canadians who were $200 or less per month away from not being able to pay their bills. And you think now if half of Canadians are, are barely able to make their bills and now so many Canadians are out of work because the government has forced a shutdown of, well, literally hundreds of thousands of jobs because just last week there was over 500,000 applications for employment insurance in one week. What is the average number of applications for one week? 20,000. So when you have half a million people whose jobs have been supplanted in one week, and there's going to be more this week, that's going to be a very big strain on the system. And worse yet, it's going to be an even bigger strain on the economy at large. And let's go one more step further down that road. It's going to be a huge strain on those individual Canadians. Because even if you waive the period, the waiting period for unemployment insurance, and they've done that, and I applaud that, employment insurance still only pays you 55% of the wage you are making. So now if half of Canadians are barely able to get by on 100% of their wage, how well do you think they're going to do on 55%? Now suddenly, They'll be taking full advantage of those six-month mortgage deferrals and six-month utility bill deferrals, and I wouldn't blame them for doing so if they cannot afford to pay their bills. But the problem is, eventually you have to pay the piper, you have to pay those bills back, you have to get caught up. How are people going to do that if they're still on EI because the job they left when their business shut down is not there for them once the whole quarantine isolation period is over. And that's a very real possibility for a lot of Canadians is that their jobs are not going to be there for them on the other side of this this virus because a lot of businesses are not going to be able to survive the shutdown. Those that will, of course, they'll bring their people back. And honestly, I can't wait because this has affected the entire economy. But for those people who will not have the job to go to right away or at all, well, then suddenly you're going to see bankruptcies and insolvencies absolutely soar in this country. And as it is, before the the whole coronavirus pandemic started to find its way into our economy and shut it down the way it has, insolvencies were already at their, at an almost an all-time high. They were the second highest in the history of this country, second only to 2009 when the Great Recession was on. So if we were almost at that level before all this panic started, well, chances are we're going to see an insolvency roll like you haven't seen ever in this country. And this is why Lewis and I were saying before that 
as much as either of us hate to admit it, the government is going to have to do something. Now, what? No idea. Because you know what? As I said before, there's no manual for this. This uh, is completely unprecedented, the way that this has been handled by the government. And I don't think they handled it the right way. But this is what they've done. And now they they have to live with it. And unfortunately, uh, we, we as a government are going to have to spend our way out of this. And as much as Bill Morneau likes to say that we've got the fiscal capacity, we don't. We've added $100 billion to our debt over the last five years. And now this year alone, we're going to add another 100. It's, there's just not the fiscal capacity for us to keep on taking on billions and tens of billions and now hundreds of billions of new debt to inject back into our economy. But unfortunately, the government is going to have to. Now, I said before, I did not agree with how the government handled the situation. So here's what I'm going to going to throw out there. I recently read an article about Israel and Lewis had pointed out Belarus has done the exact same thing. And I made reference to it before because I had said that a friend of mine had made the suggestion too. And I had agreed with him back then when the, when the pandemic was first declared and when I was poking fun of it on one of my rants is that instead of flattening the curve, we should have just accelerated the curve. And by that, I don't mean try to infect everybody. But what I mean by that is protect everybody who is vulnerable, protect the elderly, protect those who would be more susceptible to catching the virus and would be more likely to suffer. And let everybody else who is not in the risk groups continue working, continue to to help the economy function and help the country get through it. Now, we did that for the Spanish flu. We did that in the polio epidemic. We've done that with every other national catastrophe that the country has seen in history. This will be the first time that we've effectively quarantined our population. And that's essentially what we're doing. We've outlawed gatherings of more than five people. People in Quebec have been arrested for being out of their homes when they've been told to self-isolate. And Mr. Trudeau made that threat again today that there will be consequences if, if you are breaking the rules and it's time to stop being out in large groups. So unfortunately we've we're going to we're we're charting into waters that we have never charted before. So now because the government has made this bed, they have to lie in it and the government has to fix it. And the government did not follow or lead the example that Israel and Belarus are doing, namely quarantining those who are most vulnerable and then letting the rest continue to work and actually earn some tax revenue that the government can use to spend on fighting the virus for those who need the help. And so unfortunately now everybody's going to need help, which falls into what Lewis was talking about before when he said, perhaps that's the first step to implementing socialism. And that's a road that I don't want to go down, and that's probably why I'm, I was against the, this discussion of universal basic income earlier, because that is the road I hope the government does never wants to go down, although I would never put it past this particular government to do it. 
So anyway, Canada, I think I'm going to wrap it up right, right around there. And I do want to thank you all for listening. Hopefully I've given you some food for thought tonight. So there will be another show later this week, probably just uh, another rant or two. I do want to at least at some point in time deliver on what exactly does get passed in the House of Commons tomorrow. Um, just as a personal note of interest, I'm going to look to see who these MPs were that showed up and what their writings are, because I'm sure it's going to be all the Laurentian Triangle MPs because they're the ones that are in in Ottawa or within driving distance of Ottawa. And I'm hoping it's just spending bills that they're going to be discussing, aid packages that get approved, and that the country will continue on. And those of you who do have access to CBC and CPAC, by all means, keep up with the daily briefings from Prime Minister Trudeau. Typically tend to be around 11 o'clock Eastern time. And most importantly, stay safe out there. Stay home. Take care of yourselves, Canada. And we will talk again soon. Tony.